uh, a man named Joe Wagner, who was very involved in the livestock industry and especially uh, youth events, you know, cattle judging in 4-H and those things. He, he wrote the following story years ago. He says, uh, I was attending a junior stock show when a grand champion lamb owned by a little girl was being auctioned. As the bids reached $5 per pound, the little girl standing beside her lamb in the arena began to cry. At $10, the tears were streaming down her face and she clasped her arms tightly around the lamb's neck. The higher the bids rose, the more she cried. Finally, a local businessman bought the lamb for more than $1,000. But then he announced he was donating the lamb back to the little girl. The crowd cheered. He continues, Months later, I was judging some statewide essays when I came across one from a girl who told the time about when her grand champion lamb had been auctioned. The, price, the prices began to get so high during the bidding, she wrote, that I started to cry from happiness. She continued with, the man who bought the lamb for so much more than I ever dreamed I would get even returned the lamb to me. So when I got home, we had a party. Daddy barbecued the lamb. It was really delicious. Everything that seems like love in this world is not necessarily love. It can look like love. It can feel like love without ever being actual love. We began the book of Philippians three weeks ago, but two sermons ago. We took a break for Easter. And where we're at today, Paul's going to talk about love, real love. Paul, uh, we're still in the opening paragraph of, of like Paul's introduction. We did the, the, the greeting of the letter and his introductory paragraph that he writes back to his friends in a place called Philippi, Christians in this church that he planted. He's just been telling them that he prays for them a lot. In the, the first part of this paragraph, Paul just said, I pray for you guys all the time, and my prayers are always filled with joy and thanks because of how you guys participate in the gospel. But he hasn't told us yet what he actually prays, just sort of how he prays with thankfulness and joy and why he has so much thanks and joy. Today, he's going to tell them what he prays, what his prayer request is for them when he prays for them. Boiled down, it's just this. He's going to say, I pray your love grows and grows and grows. That's what I pray. When Paul prays that their love would abound, would overflow, Paul is not praying for anything to do really that they would feel more warmly uh, toward one another. He's not uh, praying that they would feel a stronger sense of affection, not that there's not um, some good there. But when Paul prays for their love, Paul's praying for something that will change their thinking, that will impact 
their decision-making, that will uh, improve their behavior, that will lead even to something Paul will call blamelessness. And finally, it will lead to the glory, to something that glorifies Jesus Christ. Paul prays for all that by praying this. I pray your love would grow and grow and grow. Let's read this little passage, just three verses, and see what we can learn from it this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 read this way. And this is what I pray, Paul says, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that you may approve the things that are excellent or best in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's our passage. We start in verse 9 where, again, Paul finally tells them what he prays for them. I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more. Everything else we're going to talk about this morning is just about that prayer request. God, I want you to, to cause my friends in that church in Philippi, in Philippi, their love to grow. Everything else is just about that request, like what that looks like, what that means, why he wants it. Before we get to any of that, I think we have to answer two questions about the love that Paul prays for. Like what it is, and, and sort of who it's for. I, I know I've defined love before up here. I will do it again. It's really important. It's really important when the, to read when the Bible talks about love, and it talks about love all the time. It's really important to like know what that means. It can be tough to do. If I ask you, if you just ask somebody on the street to write out their definition of love, it's really hard. So what is it? Everything that passes for love in the world isn't love. When the Bible talks about love, I'm convinced it's talking about this. This is how I define love all the time. Love is, this is now human love between human beings. This is the desire to see and the work put toward seeing God's best done in someone else's life. That's biblical human love. When I talk about love in a sermon, this is what I'm talking about, right? It's not just warm feelings, affection. We use that in English all the time, and it's fine, but like I can say, like, I love basketball, right? But that just means I enjoy it. It makes me feel good, right? I love, I used this last time, I love biscuits and gravy, right? They make me feel good. They do. Really good. But, but that's not biblical love, right? Love for a human being is not, I want you to make me feel good. That's not love. That's exploitation. Real love. If I love you, I want what I want to see what God would say is best happening in your life. 
That's biblical love. And so when, when Paul says, I want your love to abound more and more, this is what he's talking about. Who the love is for that Paul's talking about? In other words, is Paul saying, I want the Philippians, I want their love for one another to grow or their love for God to grow? Primarily, his main prayer request, I'm convinced, Paul is saying, I want you guys to love one another more and more and more and more. Now, for that to happen, they have to love God more and more and more. We'll talk about why that is in a minute. But most of the rest of this passage is actually about the Philippians' relationship with God. But that is important if their relationship for one another is going to grow in love. So you have to have love for God. I cannot love you well if I don't love God well. Your love for another person will not grow if your love for God does not grow. Real love, biblical love, this kind of love. Now what's it mean to love God? It has to be something different than this. Right? If I love God, it's not that I want to work to see God's best done in God's life. He's going to be just fine. Right? So loving God, loving God is where I, I appreciate that God has done what is best and will do what is best. That's harder than it sounds. If I love God, I understand you did what is best in creation, in salvation at the cross. You have done what is best. If I had all the information you have, God, I would make the, come to the same decisions that you have come to. Even when my life, I cannot possibly fathom why what I'm going through is best. It's my love for God that says, somehow I appreciate the best is happening. You can make all this work together for good for those who love you. Right? So love of God is appreciating that he has done what is best, and that will lead to me prioritizing God and his will above everything else. If I love myself, boy, a lot is said in our culture about self-love, self-care. It is time you took some time to take care of yourself, right? I, I just need to put myself first. But listen, that, that's true often. But if you really love yourself, guess what you will want to see in your life? Whatever God says is best. Because if there's ever a point where I, God and I disagree on what is best, who is right it ain't me. So when I love God, I will prioritize His best in my life. So before, before I love you, I have to love God. And if I love you, I will want you to love God through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's praying, church in Philippi, what I've been praying is that your love for one another would grow and grow and grow and grow. And I believe Paul means, and I'll show you why I think that in one slide, Paul means, I hope you are working to see God's best done in each other's lives. Now, 
If you're going to love somebody like that, what do you need to know? If you want to see God's best done in someone else's life, what do you need to know before you can work for that? You know what God's best is, right? You can't hit a target that you can't see, right? You have to know what to aim at. Look what Paul says next. So Paul says, here's what I pray. I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more. And Paul says it's going to take knowledge and insight so that you can decide what is best. Or the previous translation we had up there said, what is excellent? If I want to see what's excellent, God's version of excellent done in your life, I have to know what that is. How do we know? How do we grow in the knowledge of what God says is best? Mercifully for us, God gave us a book that tells us what his best looks like. This is why we want to know the Word of God. It's not because we may be on Bible Jeopardy or a quiz show or something someday. It's because how I, I want to know what's best. What God says is best. Not just what I feel like would be best. I want to know what God says is best. Here's how we know. This, and this is love. You know, if you were making a movie, this doesn't sell well. This is not what the world would say love is. If you were going to make a romantic movie and the, the, the dude in the movie that's trying to sweep the gal off her feet says, I want our love to grow so we know what's right and we have the wisdom to make really good decisions. That movie ain't getting made. Nobody's paying to see that. That's love. Well, what if he said that like standing in the rain? And she was looking out over the balcony. And he said, I want to love you so much that we can really make good decisions together about what God says is best. Like, it won't sell because that's not sensual enough. It's not ignorant enough not dangerous enough but that's love i mean honestly what could be better than god's best for you nothing and if i love someone this is what i should want i love rachel i love rachel and i want to see god's best done in her life and always love her that way but I do now. Now, part of what's best for her is that she's secure that I love her. So we are told in the Bible to be affectionate. Right? I should treat her warmly. But that's part of my love for her. It's not the sum. It's not the total. So, we want to love. We want to see God's best done in someone's life. We're going to have to get to know God better, primarily through his word, through prayer. That will help lead to this next word, insight. Insight is the discernment, the wisdom 
to take the knowledge I have and know how to go in the right direction toward what I know is God's best. And those two things, the, the knowledge we get from God's Word primarily and the insight we get from experience, from wise counsel, through prayer, those two things should never um, contradict. And what I mean is, you should never feel yourself, uh, we would never say this out loud, though some people have, uh, but it sounds too obviously wrong, so we tried some mental gymnastics to keep ourselves from saying it, but if you ever feel like saying, I know what the Bible says, but I feel like God is leading me in this other direction. That's not insight. It's delusion. It just is. Because we can know what is best here. Now, there's plenty of difficult decisions in life that are, that are just difficult. Right? The Bible doesn't tell you which house to buy and which one to not buy. Which job to take and which job to not take. There are plenty of really difficult decisions that you, you just have to lean more on insight than on knowledge. But we can know what we can know. Another thing that grows when we grow in knowledge, we grow in the knowledge of, of what the Bible says is best. When we get to know God better, some other knowledge we get is about us. Because when I know what the Bible says is right, I'm more likely to know when I am wrong. The more I get to know God, the more I should see my sin, my mistakes. And honestly, I will see the mistakes and the sin of those I love, I care about. And then I want to seek the insight on how to attack those problems best. Because I really want what's best. If I see, if I see sin in you, that's when I need insight and how best to address that in a way where, it's, where, where you and I both know that we are going after what is best for you. I'm not just trying to feel superior or to attack you. That takes some serious insight. Those things are difficult. But that's how we decide what is best. And if we love others, that's what we're after. What's best? All right, let's say we're the church in Philippi. We're not. But let's say this was written to us. It's not, but we can, we can do this by extension. Paul says, I pray your love for one another would grow. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, you're going to have to grow in knowledge. You're going to have to grow in insight so that you can decide what is best. And if we're that far, if that's the way we want to live our lives individually and together, growing in knowledge, growing in the Word, growing in insight so we can decide what is best, then we're ready for this. So that... You can decide what is best and then or thus be sincere and blameless. We'll take sincere first. Your English version might say pure instead of sincere. That's fine. Just understand it's like 
the pure, real McCoy, right? The sincere item, not something fake. This is not sinless. This is a great Greek word. I wasn't familiar with this word. Um, Elecranes, or elecranes, something like that. Here's what this word for sincere means literally. It means to judge in the light of the sun, like the sunshine. There have always been swindlers in the world. Here's apparently an ancient swindle in the, from the pottery industry. Right back in the day, there weren't factories cranking out pitchers and plates and cups and stuff, right? Somebody had to make that, those things by hand. Well, here was a scam. You could go buy broken, cracked, we'll use a pitcher. If you took wax, apparently, you could work wax into that crack, glaze over the outside, and then you could sell that thing as if it weren't cracked. Which do you think is cheaper, a cracked one or a good one? Right? See how you can make money doing that? Uh, here's how you test that so you don't get swindled. See if it's the real McCoy. Either you set it out in the sun, and the hot sun would maybe start to melt that wax, or you could take that picture hold it up like this, look in what should be the dark insides, and if the sun shows light through a crack, you know that thing is not that sincere. It's not the real thing. Here's what Paul has said. We want to love others, growing in knowledge, growing in insight, so we can decide what is best. If I'm ready, I want to live my life that way. I'm ready to be the sincere item, the real thing. I'm ready to live that way no matter who I'm around, no matter where I'm at. I don't, I don't live one way around my Christian friends, my church friends, my church family, and a different way around everyone else. You know why? Because I want what's best for me and even for my non-Christian friends. I don't have to do that in a way that's condemning. I don't have to do that in a way that's judgmental. I don't have to expect non-Christians to act like mature Christians. That's ridiculous. But if I love God and I want to love others and real love is wanting to see the best done in their lives, I can be sincere wherever I'm at and I can also be blameless? Question mark. How's that supposed to happen? How are people like you and me, how are we supposed to be blameless in this world? Doesn't that mean like sinless, don't deserve any blame? Are you ever going to be sinlessly perfect on this side of heaven? No. No, you are not. So how do we be blameless? Well, there's two ways to be blameless. One is to not deserve any blame. <laughs> right? Now, we shouldn't just poo-poo that away. The best way to be, to not deserve any blame for a certain sin is not commit that sin in the first place. That is better. When we know, again, when we know what is best, when we're the real thing, I want what is God's version of best in my life and in your life, there's a lot of mistakes I won't make. Praise God. The best way to be blameless is to not have earned any blame. 
to avoid the sin. Now, I won't do that perfectly. You won't nail that every time. So there's one other way to achieve being blameless in the Christian faith. And that is to deal with your blame that you've earned correctly. Once sin has happened, what is God's best for your life, for you to do with the blame you now have earned? You want to know what the natural human way to deal with trying to be blameless is? Try to make it so uncomfortable for anyone to blame us, they don't dare blame us anymore. They know I will lie and deny. Oh, you call me a liar now? Right? Or we will attack that person back and bring up 10 things they did five years ago. Right? We do, or we, we do denial. We do projection. We do all these things so that they learn, man, don't go toward Maxwell with any of his mistakes. It's just not worth it. Then no one will ever blame you. Now, that does not make you blameless. That makes us hard to be around. There's a difference. Once sin has happened, God loves confession and repentance. That gets us back into blamelessness. When I have unrepentant sin in my life, there's blame. There just is. The way out of, like, blamefulness, which is not even a word. I think I've just made that up, maybe. But when I'm walking in blamefulness, the way out of to blamelessness is not by convincing someone else I never did what I obviously did, is to agree with God about that sin and go in a different direction. That puts us right back into blamelessness because ultimately, Jesus took the blame we deserve, paid the punishment for our sins. When we, with, with God, when we confess and repent, we're right back into blamelessness. That's the way to deal with blame we deserve. All right, so growing in knowledge. I want to love other people well. I want to see God's best done in their lives. I want God's best in my life. I want to decide what is best. I can be the real McCoy wherever I'm at. I can be blameless either by avoiding sin or dealing correctly with my sin. And Paul says that will have long-term implications. Not just in your church in Philippi will things be better. They will. But there will be long-term ramifications. Paul says you'll be sincere and blameless until or all the way for the day of Christ, you'll show them to be filled with the fruit or the harvest, the result of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Um, this takes some explanation. The day of Christ that Paul's talking about right here is sometimes this is called the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. Here's what's going to happen someday if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You are still going to stand in judgment before Jesus Christ. Everyone will. Now for, for us, those of us who have believed in Jesus, 
That judgment is not where you will learn whether or not you go to heaven or hell. You know how you can learn that? Believe in Jesus Christ right now. A free gift of God's grace to all those who believe gives eternal life. Jesus said, one who believes has eternal life. The one who doesn't believe doesn't have eternal life. But we will, those of us who are believers, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, we will stand before Jesus and be judged. We'll have all the behaviors, all the actions, everything we have done in our lives judged. Paul described this elsewhere this way. He said, it's like all the actions of our life will be put on a tray and put in a big blast furnace. And everything that is done for Jesus Christ, for others in his name, will be like precious jewels that that fire won't burn up. Everything else we do in this life will just be burned up. And that news is good and bad. Because when I stand in judgment, there's a lot of stuff in my life I just want burned up. And he's going to do that. But there will be a lot of other things that I dedicated my time to that I'm like, man, I sure wish I would have invested that in a, in a different manner. Right? Because the things done for Jesus Christ, that stuff will last for all of eternity. So here's what Paul says at the end. I'm praying that God will cause you, your love, to grow and grow and grow. And that means I want you to grow in knowledge of God and insight so you can decide what is best, so you can work for what is best in each other's lives. That's real love. Then you can be, when you get there, you can be the sincere, the real McCoy, a real Christian, wherever you go, no matter what you're doing. Uh, You can be blameless. You can deal with your sin correctly. And then on the day of Christ, you can have something to show for your time on earth that will glorify Jesus Christ. And all, it's just that all, all you, we can have uh, to show for our time on earth is just the result of the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In other words, there's nothing that I will have to show for my time on earth that anyone will ever think, man, that Matt Maxwell was awesome. Here's the way it's going to work, I think. I don't know exactly how the judgment seat of Christ is going to go down. But when my whole life is reviewed, is that a terrifying thought for anybody else? It's a very uncomfortable thought. My whole life is reviewed. And I don't know how at that point, how much humiliation I will be able to feel, but it sure feels like I'm going to feel quite a bit of it. But then there can be these things. Guess what kind of things will last? Real love. Where times where I have invested in someone else to see God's best done in their life, to to make Jesus look valuable when I'm sincere and I'm blameless, That's not because I'm a great guy. It's just because I know what is best is what God says is best. I'm trying to grow in the knowledge of that and insight so I can work toward what he says is best. He works through me. He does something awesome. And on that judgment day, someone, if there's a crowd there watching, can go, 
Man, we just watched his whole life back. He was kind of a jerk. He was kind of dirty. He did some really terrible things. But Jesus, you could, do, you could get eternal, righteous stuff done through a guy like Matt Maxwell. Man, you are awesome. And I'll say, yes, he is. That's how, I think that's how everyone's judgment will go down. You know, uh, the Jews of Jesus' day, they tried to judge their lives just based on the law. Right at the end of every day, did I break any of the no-nos? If I didn't break any of the no-nos, I must have been okay. I had a good day. You know, Jesus raised the ante on that. He said, no, no, a new command I give you, that you love one another. And Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciple because you don't listen to rock and roll music. Is that what he said? That was a flashback to my junior high youth group. Sorry. So you will know my, they will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. Do you know how much higher that bar is? If we live to love folks, like Paul prayed for the Philippians would, live to really love folks, it's not that we don't care about the law. That's part of the knowledge that we grow in what's best. But love is such a higher standard. I can't stand up here and say, I didn't steal from you this week, therefore, I loved you this week. Can I? No. I didn't commit adultery this week. That means I loved my wife well this week. That holds no water. When we live, for, when we live to love, it's like the law gets thrown in for free. It's such a higher standard so that when we all stand before that judgment seat of Christ, the standard is impossibly high. All we're going to have to show is this, those brief moments of clarity, maybe brief decades of clarity, where we figured out, oh, wait a minute. What God says is best is best. And what I want to do is be dedicated to seeing God's best done in my life and done in your life. So then I want to know what God says is best. Why? So that I can love you. And Jesus can take a wretch like me and he can work his righteousness through me. He can work his righteousness through you to touch someone else's life, make Jesus look valuable. That stuff will last forever and ever and ever. This is what Paul prayed for his dear friends in Philippi. Do you think this is what maybe we should pray for one another and for us? I think it probably is. And this I pray. That your love, yours, would grow and grow. Like real life, real business, God's real best. Your love for others would grow and grow and grow. 
Now you're going to have to grow in knowledge. You're going to have to grow in discernment to figure out what best is. And I want you to have that why so that you can be a sincere, real McCoy no matter where you're at. You can be blameless by avoiding sin and dealing with your sin correctly so that one day to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ, when the works of your life are judged, you'll have something to show for all this time on earth besides stuff that was burned up in a flash. Why don't you pray with me right now and let's pray that for one another. Father God, um, I just want to pray that this church would grow in love. I pray, God, you would cause us to love one another well, that you would cause us to love people outside of this church well. And we know, God, that means that we, we need to be willing to work to see what you say is best done in our lives and done in their lives. So will you teach us? Will you help us know you better? so that we can know what's best. Will you give us the insight and the wisdom in those difficult situations uh, of how to work towards seeing your best done in someone else's life? We really need you to help us in those situations. God, will you help us to be sincere so that people don't see us like a, a cracked vase that kind of acts like the real thing Sometimes, but not all the time. Help us to be sincere. Help us to deal with our sin correctly by confessing to the people we sin against, to going to repenting, to, to offering restitution, to confessing to you, to uh, turning our lives away from our sin. God, help us live like that more and more consistently so that at the end of our lives when we stand before you, there will be something behind us, just as the result of this righteousness you brought out of our lives. Help us love one another, love others in your name, to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.